Hi, Vaughn. Hi, Chris. How are you? Uh, well, looking at an elephant in the room, I guess it's time we face it, huh? Definitely. And I'm sure people would have wanted us to start with this, but sometimes you just can't jump right in. Well, we had to start somewhere, and I suspect that what we've given is some of our conservative listeners a chance to warm up to me a little bit, hopefully, and the liberals a moment to get a sense of who you are first, before we really get into where we're now about to go. I guess they don't call them difficult conversations because they're easy. And speaking of difficult conversations, do you want to introduce this week's topic? Yeah, sure. This week's topic is about fear, your political fears. So I'm asking you, what are you afraid of? This is Divided We Call. I believe that fear is an invisible emotion. And what I mean by that is that when we feel fear, we don't recognize it oftentimes as fear. We think it's something else. We think it is conviction. We think it is a well-deserved frustration towards something or someone. But rarely am I able, at least in myself, to catch when I feel afraid until sometimes it's too late, until I've said something, until I've acted in a certain way that I really regret because it's caused somebody to have hurt feelings, to be hurt. I mean, why you and me are here even in the first place having this podcast. I think fear is driving our country right now, and it really alarms me that that's what's driving our country, not the many other things that could be driving our country. What do you think? I totally agree. I think fear is playing a huge part in the divide of our country. So when you have certain liberties or rights that are being threatened or taken away, people are going to fight for that. And fighting becomes aggressive. And although that's not the right way to handle it, you can definitely see that's what's happening in this country. Unfortunately, I think the divide is going to become wider and wider. And I think trying to get this country back on track is going to be very hard because I think a lot of people are extremely afraid. It's one of those things. It's like if you get shot and you're able to get your hand in there and pull the bullet out it's gonna hurt like hell but it's the first step of how you're gonna heal and here we are the fear is the bullet it's got us it's hit us i want to talk it out with you i want to hear what you're afraid of from your voice i don't want to see the memes you share i don't want to read our angry facebook post messages against each other i don't want to be retweeting this person you retweeting that person i just want to hear you i want to hear what you're afraid of and and I want to tell you what I'm afraid of. And I know that there's been a big change in your social media presence recently. Do you want to share what's going on in that realm? I do. So this week I decided to get off of Facebook. I didn't want people to think I unfriended them. I didn't want them to think something bad happened to me. So I wanted to explain to them why I was getting off Facebook. So I found this proverb about the tale of two wolves. And I'm sure some of you heard it. But it's about an old Cherokee talking to his grandson about the battle that people have inside. So the battle is between two wolves inside us. Okay, that's what he tells his, his grandson. One is evil, filled with anger, envy, jealousy, doubt, sorrow, all those emotions. And the other is good, joy, peace, love, hope. And the grandson eventually asks, which wolf wins? And the old Cherokee simply replies, the one you feed. 
So I posted that along with this. I am feeding the wrong wolf, and for that I need to change. I think Facebook was once a platform for connecting with long-lost friends from school or families that got only together for holidays and birthdays. But lately I feel that it's become a place of judgment. It has shown me that people are self-centered, hypocritical, and cowardly, including myself, and I am ashamed of what I have fed into. I know there are a lot of kind-hearted, honest, and hardworking people in this world, and I have the privilege to be related to, friends and neighbors with, or work with some of them. So I am getting back into the real world and leaving this fake one behind. But before I say goodbye, let's remember why we became friends in the first place. It wasn't because we were a Democrat or a Republican. It was because we got to know each other. So let's not forget that. And that's how I ended my relationship with Facebook. Welcome to the other side. That is so much more eloquent <laughs> than anything I wrote. I didn't write anything. Thank you. That's, I hope, a really great step for you. It's been an awesome step for me. It's been more than five months, really, since I think I've been off. And no looking back. I don't miss it at all. It takes a lot of the fear out of your day. I mean, you know, I still got a long way to go with checking the news less. That could always help me. But that's a huge first step. I'm, I'm really happy for you. I'm extremely glad that I finally got off of Facebook. Um, my husband is still on it, and I definitely think he's still feeding into the wrong wolf. He still shows me stuff on Facebook, and I've tried to tell him not to. But I felt like I lost 10 pounds as soon as I hit the deactivation button. Have I wished I lost 10 real pounds? I sure have. But I think Facebook has become a platform where people can just attack each other based on their political views and it was getting too ugly for me and I found myself doing it and getting angry over it so the best thing I ever did was get off Facebook and like you Vaughn I need to shut off the news once in a while in fact I need to shut it off a little bit more because that's the other wolf that's still feeding this political fear of mine all we can do is talk you and me here we are we got a question who's going to answer first I think you go first. All right, then go right on ahead and ask me. Yes. Vaughn, what are you afraid of? Oh, what am I afraid of? Goodness. I'm afraid that as Americans, we are being driven away from our unity toward a world where we have to choose a side. And by choosing a side, we have to choose a really strong stance on a side that immediately denounces the other side. It makes me sad going both ways. I'm oftentimes guilty of generalizing my feelings about extreme thoughts and beliefs on the other side with the people that I know who associate themselves with that political typology. And that's not fair, but I also know I'm not that extreme. <laughs> and I know people are doing it at a much bigger scale. So. My fear is that that is going to rip our country in half in a way that destroys all of us. I am afraid that our Constitution is in jeopardy. And when that happens, we are going to self-destruct as a nation. They wrote that Constitution as the foundation of this country when it was established. And how are we going to exist without it? So it's, it's a fear of mine. That's certainly a place to start, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to ask you a follow-up question, which is, can you specify for me what threat or threats you're referring to when you speak about the threats to the Constitution? Mm -hmm. We have seen 
attacks on President Trump with trying to impeach him for a phone call with Ukraine. There were other investigations into Trump based on other matters, but yet here we went through an election where there was voter fraud. Now, maybe they couldn't prove it because they don't have the technology to prove it, but what I think conservatives like myself are concerned about is how do you start an investigation on a president based on one whistleblower when you had dozens of video and or testimony stating that there was voter fraud going on and no one wants to launch an investigation into it. That's the problem we have. And I think that's where people are getting afraid of. They're afraid that the people who are electing our officials, we've lost that. We've lost that. Our votes aren't counting anymore. So people are threatened by that. So you have these threats that are going on and they're, they're reshaping the Constitution. And that in itself is a threat. That is where I think conservatives are drawing their fear from. I think the fear is why you're seeing these protests go on. So now take it from there, Vaughn. <laughs> huh. Did I throw a lot at you? <laughs> you did throw a lot at me, but it wasn't as much as I was expecting. The reaction I'm feeling myself having is one of surprise. It all feels hearing it come straight from you, a voice that I know, a voice that I'm familiar with, a voice, of course, that I disagree with on a, on a whole lot, but your fears are not as enormous as I perceive your fears to be just when I group you in with everybody that I'm watching in the news or the articles that I'm reading. I, I, I cross sources like you do too. I cross sources when I'm reading the news. I don't think it's healthy to just read all liberal or all conservative or any one kind of news. I think you get a much more thorough experience if you're trying to understand the temperature on something by crossing it. Exactly. It sounds extremely different coming from your voice, hearing it from your words than it does when I'm reading an article or catching up on a news story and hearing it out of a news anchor's voice. To hear it in your voice somehow changes it for me. I find that really interesting. You and I are not name-calling. What we're trying to do is is the right way to communicate, to listen to each other. You know, Vaughn, what we have seen in the past is this hypocrisy of how the news is reporting, you know, protests. We've seen one side protest where it turns violent and millions and millions of dollars of personal property being destroyed and no one really crying out against it. And then another side protests and within hours it's deemed a riot and next thing you know they're going to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. I just feel like there is such hypocrisy when it comes to news reporting based on who's protesting and I think the news is completely biased. All right. Well, before we get into hypocrisy, I do just want to acknowledge that I feel a connection between what you've experienced with the 2020 election to feelings and senses that I had back in the 2016 election when Trump won the presidency and Hillary Clinton lost. When the direction that I wanted to see the country go in felt threatened to me as it did back after the 2016 election, I immediately began searching for a source of that, which at the time was being presented as Russian interference in the election. 
that became my core truth. I tried to understand everything happening through that lens. Out came eventually the Mueller report, the independent investigation by a Republican identifying official. And my takeaways from that, which were considerably in retrospect because Trump had been in the office for quite some time by the time it was published. But my reaction to that was, okay, so things were different. Things were different than I I knew them to be, or I thought them to be in the hot-headed immediacy aftermath of the 2016 election. One thing I want to draw as a difference between the 2016 and the 2020 election, which I think is considerable, is that we don't have a candidate conceding, which we did have that in 2016. So I can't pretend to compare them in that way. Now, we also on January 6th had multiple members of Republican leadership acknowledging that they found no evidence of fraud and that they supported the vote. I struggle with understanding how people who voted those leaders into office now can't believe the words out of their own leadership's mouths, I guess I I would word it as. Okay, so I'm just going to say what I feel. I thought your opinion didn't give me one piece of what you were afraid of. You didn't give me an example of what you were afraid of. You told me that you felt that there were things that were threatening, like at like what came out of the 2016, you felt like your some of your constitutional rights were going to be threatened. Apparently, a lot of other people did too when they started protesting, screaming, not my president. I was at one of them in Manhattan right after the election. Yeah, the protests were everywhere in 2016. And I guess what you guys were feeling then is how we are feeling now. Having said the whole Russian thing, yes, I, I did... I didn't read the report, and obviously there's only so much faith you can put into an independent investigator, okay, when they found that there was no Russian collusion. I'm sorry, I don't buy it either. There's Everybody's got their hand in the pot. Everybody does, okay? But I think in the 2020 election, I think it was scarier because it was within. It was within our own United States. I mean, we're talking about video of people being locked out, you know, you could see that there was stuff going on. Eyewitnesses saying things were going on, things were not right, voting machines that were just flipping ballots or whatever. So there wasn't enough evidence. Well, sometimes our technology can show one thing and not show another side of it. And I'm not a tech person, so some of this stuff is above my head. I understand your fears of 2016. I hope you understand my fears of the 2020 election, I always felt that protests were done civilly and nonviolently, no matter why you were protesting, is, is a right. We as Americans have the right to speak our voice, but once it becomes violent, it becomes a problem. And I don't care what you're protesting. I don't care if it's racial injustice. I don't care if it's Walmart raising their prices. I don't care if it's election fraud. The point is, is once it becomes violent, it becomes a problem. What becomes a bigger problem is when one political party condemns the other one more than they condemn their own party for protesting. And I just think that your average conservative has had enough of the fucking hypocritical bullshit that's been going on these last few years. And as far as listening to Pence and Mitch McConnell. When Trump stated he was going to drain the swamp, I don't think people were really truly listening. 
because part of the swamp includes Republicans. Do I think that the Republican Party consistently backed Trump when he was president? No, they didn't. They tolerated him. They tried to do a few things with him. But I think deep down, they did what they had to do to get through four years of him. And they were going to eventually show their true goddamn colors. And they did. I'm telling you, Vaughn, I think the average conservative is very afraid that the radical left are going to manipulate this constitution and start creating a whole new world for us. Well, well, well then. There's a whole lot there, but it all started with you saying perhaps I had not expressed my fear clearly. So I'm going to try that now by saying when it all comes down to it, I'm afraid of the exact same stuff you're afraid of. Just <laughs> just hearing you say it, it's the same thing. It's just the other side of the aisle. It's like the same set of fears. It really, truly is. You're afraid of power landing in the wrong hands. So am I. You're afraid of rights being stripped away. So am I. You're afraid of violent protests. So am I. We share this in common. It's almost like if you and me were talking without specific names involved it would seem like we're on the same side of the aisle exactly (laughs) so i think one thing to add to that though that really scares me because of course this is our episode about fear i'm really afraid that we're getting our facts from such remarkably different sources that we are operating off of two different realities we are literally looking at facts that are so different that when we put them next to each other Only one of them can be true. And yes, of course, there is some room for gray area, but they are that level of extreme. I think Biden won the election. You think he lost the election. Something we have in common, though, is a distrust for the other side of the argument, for the opposite political party that we align with. Exactly. That source of where we're really butting heads and not getting along is based on the facts that we are both being given. So... It is troublesome that facts are coming at us from different places, and therefore that is all we have to operate off of when we're making our reactions to the big wild things going on in the country, the things we're watching unfold on the news. It's scary, and it's scarier that we both have such a distrust for the other side. I am completely terrified that it is Trump who strips away constitutional rights. Tell tell me how you think he did that. I actually feel like I have an easy answer for that one. For once, coming from me. He called that the election was going to be fraud before there even was an election. That really raised my eyebrows. And that's not to say that I didn't go into the 2016 election with the Russian narrative already in my mind. Of course I did. It was it was there. It was told to me. And so that's really the lens through which I viewed the election. And I understand to a similar degree that if your leader tells you something's going to be wrong going into the election, then of course that's all you're going to see. However, I don't really know what the answer is on how we can fix that. These are problems coming from really high above us, and it's really a matter of perspective for each you and me. We both have the same reactions to the same sets of problems, just where we're receiving those ideas from are just coming from different leaders. Okay, so you're right. Before the election happened, we were both being spoon-fed something. But when I look back at 
2020, the economy, well, really the end of 2019, the economy was heading in a great direction. Gas prices were staying low, jobs were up, housing, the economy was booming. We were trying to get more into America made instead of depending on China. We were lessening regulations, which I know is a big no-no for our environment. But when 2020 came, January came, I felt like that is when the shit hit the fan. And all of a sudden you could see the wheels starting to spin like you could see it happening. You could see where, okay, here's our election year. What can we do to start to undermine this president so he does not get reelected? The point is, is your average American was doing, I would think, well. Okay, more jobs, more this. All of a sudden you had this radical change happen and it seemed to have spiraled out of control the entire year of 2020. So I felt like even though they were kind of telling us, yes, there was going to be election fraud, you could kind of see where they were heading back in January. I know I'm going to sound like one of those conspiracy theory kind of people, and, and I might. I can't help but think that, and on both sides of the spectrum, that I wouldn't put it past any political figure, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, or whatever, that if you had an agenda that you wanted to push through, you would stop at nothing. That's what truly scares me. Agendas are scary, and we seem to both be cognizant that we are affected by them. Yes. Even against our best intentions not to be. Right. Real quick before we slide past it, it's just regarding the economy being soaring going into the election year. It was pretty great in 2015, too. And I think credit is due there if we are going to talk about economies getting into good shape to give President Obama the credit of where he was able to get the economy headed in order to pass off to the next administration. Okay, but can I just interject there for a minute? President Obama was president for eight years. It took him eight years to finally get an upswing. Gas was at over $4 a gallon when he left office. I get that maybe there was an upswing, but it took the man eight fucking years to do it. It took him eight years to get it where he got it after the greatest economic recession since the Great Depression. I don't think that was an easy feat for anyone to have accomplished. And I think it's only fair for me to acknowledge that he did hand off a very healthy economy for the Trump administration. And to the credit of the Trump administration, it did not crash and burn from there. It did continue to grow and onward it grew. So this is where a democracy and a republic, as we were defining them last episode, would be examples of two groups of people working together to get something done and get something better for the people that it governs. I agree. And I think it's going to continue to become a bigger divide. I do. I think that it, what I've seen along the way are chances for leadership to connect that divide and miss those chances. The biggest connection that I saw for a chance of the divide to be closed was when the coronavirus broke out in early 2020. A part of me, despite being pretty strongly liberal, pretty strongly against the the sitting president at that time, I really was 
expecting that to be his moment to shine for his moment to say in sort of a post 9-11 way like hey that moment never came and how do you how would you have wanted him to handle that i just wanted a message of unity i wanted a message of we're all in this together everybody hold hands hold your neighbor's hand who cares what they are democrat or republican that message never came. Instead, what came were really confusing messages of actually, we're not going to listen to the scientists. We're going to just go about your business. And I know that is not a position anyone wants to be in the position he was in. However, why was the unity never factored in? Why was that never important to him? That really, really upset me. And I actually thought that was potentially what could have been a great chance to set him up for success in the upcoming election. Instead, we all just hated each other more coming out of it. Well, let me go back to say that, yes, everyone thought George Bush did a great job and brought us together, and then the Democrats turned on him anyway. So <laughs> Yes, you could say that. They did. <laughs> they turned on him anyway. So, yeah, but he did get reelected, and I do think that had a lot to do with the unity that he was able to draw. That was important. Yes, he did get reelected. But what I heard Trump say is, yes, he wasn't dealing with the same issue as George Bush was. We were attacked from outside, okay, physically attacked. This was a worldwide pandemic. And although, yes, it would have been nice to say, okay, I'm going to push everything to the side and I'm going to keep everyone safe, there still is a country to run. There's still a country. We just can't just shut our doors, lock them up, pull down the shades, and everybody just chill out. You had people stealing and, and hoarding toilet paper. It was almost like he was thrown five grenades and he had to juggle them all, all right? And when he did try to shut down anything coming in from China and he did try to shut down certain imports, he was laughed at. Now, I know people don't want to say that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all them were talking about, oh, he's a racist, he's being ridiculous. I think this is where the news, again, spoon feeds us that fear but when one man is telling you, all right, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and they're telling him he's overreacting, and now in the same breath you're saying, well, he should have done this, well, there's the hypocrisy in itself, which again brings us back to the fear of the fact that when one group does one thing, it's okay, and when another group does another thing, it's not okay, and all they keep doing is pointing the finger instead of saying, hey, let's take a step back and say, what were we accountable for? It's okay to protest in cities if it's, if it's racial injustice and we could do $500 million worth of damage and burn cities down, try to light a police station on fire while policemen are inside. But hey, when somebody storms the Capitol building, oh my God, the shit hit the fan. People were scared for their lives. Chuck Schumer's like, this is the worst day than Pearl Harbor. It's like, get your head out of your fucking ass and give me a small fucking break. So when you want to talk about fear, my fear is now... I'm not allowed to say certain things because it might offend somebody. Now, that offense isn't now just about hurting someone's feeling. Now, it could you can lose your job. You could be publicly shamed. Facebook is banning certain people. You want to talk about fears? There is definitely a war on conservatives. And as much as you don't want to agree to that and want to see that it's actually a war on liberals or Democrats, and I hate using those words, but this is where that fear is stemming from. They shouldn't even just call them protests anymore. They should just call them riots because they usually end up that way anyway. Before we keep going, I just want to ask something because you used a you statement. Oh, I, I didn't mean to you a you. I meant... All right, so, so you didn't mean me as no. in Vaughn. No. 
the other side. Okay. Right. I don't mean to say you. I get caught up in my words, and and, and I do mean that. Well, I'm okay. glad we cleared that up because I was like, I don't think like that. I didn't say that. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> All right. So I do want to take a second and just reflect back on when the Capitol riots happened. It was since you and me started talking and since we started recording the podcast, it was a moment where there was obviously a lot going on in the news. It was scaring the shit out of me. First and foremost, just anybody dying over something like this is beyond my comprehension. I wholeheartedly agree. And with that said, I just, I was watching this all unfold and I did feel the horror of it. I did feel the hopelessness of it. I felt a great sadness with it. I just also, I wondered to myself if the roles had been reversed, if the leader of my party was telling me in their loudest voice with their loudest megaphone that we had actually won the election or they had actually won the election, but that was now being completely stolen by the other party, I would have reacted extremely angrily. I would have been marching wherever I could march. Well, and let me just, and and I'll let you continue. And don't forget, before this 2020 election, Cities were preparing for rioting, not because of Trump losing, but because of Trump winning. So they were preparing for that. I don't know that I believe that they were just preparing for it to be one way or the other. I I thought they were really preparing for it both ways. Any sort of outcome. Yeah, any sort of outcome. And I think we're all just really polar divided. They knew something was coming. And how sad is that? It's so sad. How sad is that? It depresses the shit out of me. It really does. And I do want to find the silver lining, but gosh, we're looking really hard for it. And something I do want to just note, and I'm kind of beating around the bush here, is just to say that You and me have been talking for a few months now, but we've been recording this only for several weeks now. And when all the bad shit was going down, I was thinking about you. I felt hurt. I felt like a lot of hurt for the people who were there. I felt anger toward them. I felt frustration toward them because they feel a different set of facts is true than the ones that I think are true. But I couldn't help but see you in there with them. And it it changed from what I understand about the way other people I know felt towards seeing the crowd, it changed my perception of it a a little bit. I felt sad, but I wanted to understand it better rather than feeling filled with hatred. I wanted to problem solve, and I don't know, I attribute a lot of that to these conversations we're having. So my long-winded way of saying, I feel like I'm growing with you. I don't feel like I'm changing. I feel like I'm growing. And... It feels important to me. But also here's the thing. If people died, if I learn in no uncertain terms that people died in these protests or riots, whatever we're going to call them here, and that fraud did not actually occur on a massive scale that could have made a difference, I'm fucking pissed. I would be too. I really would be, but... Vaughn, I think we can honestly say, at least I can honestly say, I've learned from your brother not to say we. I can honestly say <laughs> Yeah, Logan's say always good for a good that, political pat yes, down. so I won't say we. You know what my biggest fear is? My biggest fear is this, and, and I realized this during one of the racial protests, is that 
Facebook, Twitter, all these social pl platforms now have become the judge and the jury for this country. And we deem people innocent and guilty before there are any facts. And not in all cases, I, I will say that, not in all cases. There are certain policemen that should be rotting in jail for what they did, okay? But I feel like now the public has taken it into their own hands. One day it could be you or I that are judged by social media and we could be judged completely wrong. And that's what scares the shit out of me. Well, it's a great first step to get off of social media, as you have done <laughs> now joining the club that I've been in for a few months. Technology is full of advancements, yes. But it is also, <laughs> it's also full of detriments, I think. Yes. It's evolving. It's evolving extremely fast, and our minds are not evolving as fast. We can't. We're, <laughs> we're just human. Our brains can only evolve to a certain degree. Like, we can push them as hard as we want, but they can only keep up to a certain degree. And I don't know that we are made to understand the nuances of social media. We're not ready for that level of interaction and accountability. It would be cool if we could be, but it would require a lot more dialogue, a lot more respect between boundaries and between lines. But it's here to stay some way or another. And I mean, it's not gonna be me that derails it. So <laughs> we've talked about what scares the shit out of us but what if we cap this all off with things we're hopeful about so <laughs> i guess i'll phrase that as a question then what do you hope for aunt chris i hope that one day people will stop and step back and ask yourself what are you trying to achieve here and is what i'm about to do going to truly make a difference or make it worse. It's funny because as different as we sit in positions, it brings me hope to hear that. If we all took personal accountability and we all said, listen, yeah, I screwed up that. Yes, I did that wrong. Yes, I said that. And I wasn't thinking when I did it. But part of that is still taking accountability for your actions. Listen, nobody knows that better than you and I. My husband went out to a Yankee game with my brother. They went out. They drank. My brother drove, fell asleep, and my husband was killed in an accident. To me, they were both accountable. My husband knew damn well my brother was drinking. He handed him the keys and said, here. In fact, he was the one who loaded the cooler in the car. They both played a role in it. One paid with his life. The other one paid with time in jail. It's about personal accountability. We need to stop blaming someone for why this didn't go right, why I don't have that, why I don't have this. And you know what? We need these politicians to stop telling us who to blame. What do you think? There is just a whole lot to unpack in there. And I think the best place I know how to start is by just acknowledging that you and me are here talking many years later after 1996 when Uncle Mark died it was a horrible loss for everyone in our family and just even rippling beyond that it's it's something I think about it's it's a part it's always been a part of me I was eight when it when he died and I think that 
taking personal responsibility because that's really where your hope seems to lie. I think that that is touching on exactly what I really hope you and me are doing by taking this time and sitting together and talking through these things. Despite our differences, which can feel enormous at times when we're yelling at each other on Facebook, which we won't be doing anymore, of course, you're the closest thing. You and your son are the closest thing I'll ever have to him, and I'm not willing to part with that. And I do take responsibility. I accept enormous responsibility for keeping that bond strong. And I hope to prove that to you. And I hope to continue proving that to you. And that's why I'm here. That's why I put this time in. And I guess that's my way of saying you're stuck with me. Well, I appreciate that. And I try to do the same. And because I think of that man every day. Well, you're doing a really good job by showing up and talking to my ass. (laughs) And I really just appreciate that it it actually sets me up to talk about my hope really nicely (laughs) conveniently so thank you my hope is that we all as americans acknowledge that we are really some of the luckiest people on the planet to be born with the freedom that we're born into in our society and to not take that for granted to embrace that and to know what that means is not that any of it is going to come easy to us but that we're going to figure it out together. I know that sounds enormously optimistic, but we're doing it right now. You and me are doing something right now that is closing a gap that has been there and it's been festering and it's been growing and we're talking and it's making a big difference for me. It's making a huge difference for me. I don't want other families. I don't want other people who love each other to deny themselves that. My hope is that we all start working on it that's that's it. And now that we're ending, how do you feel, Aunt Chris, like today's topic went? I think it went really well, Vaughn. And to be honest, every week I almost dread having to do this because of the emotion it brings up in me. But as soon as we're done talking, I feel so much better. And I know every time we talk, I feel like we've become so much closer. So I I think we need to keep talking because, you know what, Vaughn? I just love you so much. I love you with my whole heart. And I sure do love you too. I'm so glad to be here. And until next time. Until then. In today's episode, we got down to what we are afraid of talking it out voice to voice instead of in a message thread or Facebook comments or social media comments allows us to hear the nuances of these conversations and allows us to respect that we're both coming from the same place. We both want what is best for our country and what is best for our families and loved ones. So for all of you who are listening out there today, ask yourself, what are you afraid of? You might even be afraid to pick up the phone and actually talk to someone you care about to find out what they're afraid of. And when you pick up that phone, you might find out that you share common fears. And to me, that's the first step towards uniting. Uniting as friends, uniting as family. And when we start to do that, we unite as a country.